All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Wednesday, August 17th, uh, got a whole bunch of news for you. So I'm going to get to the election results a little bit later. We have Sarah Palin and Liz Cheney and Lisa Murkowski. So it's Wyoming and Alaska. Um, some of the results are in, not all of them, because of the way that the uh, Alaska system works. They have, since you know, it's a very rural state, so a lot of the uh, stuff comes in. I think they have a 10-day window. <clears throat> for the absentee ballots. So we're not going to get all of the answers right now, but we have some of the answers right now. And of course, one of them is, uh, you know, huge news, even though it was kind of expected uh, in regards to Liz Cheney. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but man, I also have Dr. Oz is running quite possibly one of the most embarrassing campaigns I've ever seen in my entire life. And that says a lot because I don't know how many of you guys remember Lincoln Chafee. But if you don't look that up, he's rivaling Lincoln Chafee with the the cringiest campaign I've ever seen. And then uh, Joe Biden signs the Inflation Reduction Act and he gives a speech afterwards, which is not typical Biden. Not at all. In fact, it is is quite the opposite. So um, got a little bit of pep in his step. We'll break that down for you. Got uh, a video on that. And then um, look, the people in Trump's orbit. You got to call it what it is. You got to call a spade a spade. The people in Trump's orbit are going down ski right now. I'm talking about his his lifelong CFO. Uh, I'm talking about Rudy Giuliani. Um, so these new stories are are really something. But anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. So Dr. Oz has gone viral yet again, and he's gone viral for all the wrong reasons. So this is a video that... Uh, I mean, it really speaks for itself. He is out at a grocery store trying to be like, Hello, everybody. I am a normal human being who is very working class. Um, and he's talking about how inflation, oh, inflation is hurting Dr. Oz so bad. Or he can relate to you if inflation is hurting you so bad. Um, look at this. Thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's and I'm at Wegner's. There is no Wegner's. There's a Wegmans. And then there's also, I don't know the exact name of this other one, but there's one that I guess ends in ERS that's in Pennsylvania. If you, if you live in Pennsylvania and you know the, the other grocery store, then post that in the comment section below. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, I mean, we're literally two seconds into the video and he's already embarrassing himself. He probably hasn't been to a grocery store since 1998. All right, uh, let me let it run a little longer here. I'm getting ahead of myself. I thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's and I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite, right? So here's a broccoli. That's two bucks. <laughs> okay, okay. I didn't even know what crudite was. Crystal was the one who originally showed me this video. And I was like, Crystal, what the fuck is crudite? What is that? I've never heard of that before. And then she said it's sort of like, it's basically like veggies and dip. But I guess it's like the French hors d'oeuvre version of veggies and dip. I don't know. It's something along those lines. Dude, what are you doing? Kind of broccoli there. There's some asparagus. That's $4. Yep. Carrots. That's four more dollars. That's $10 of vegetables there and then 
We need some guacamole. That's $4 or more. And she loves salsa. Yeah, there's salsa there. $6? Must be a shortage of salsa. Guys, that's $20 for crudite, and this doesn't include the tequila. I mean, that's outrageous. And we got Joe Biden to thank for this. Thought I'd do some grocery shopping. You would think that a guy who's been on TV for so long would have more natural charisma. Would, uh, you know, be more commanding with his presence and his personality. But he's just, he's so robotic. This actually reminds me, and credit to uh, Michael, I think Sockdem Michael on Twitter for pointing this out. This reminds me of, and go look this up if you're young and, and uh, this doesn't ring a bell for you. In, I think it was 1992, on the campaign trail, George H.W. Bush went to a grocery store probably for the first time in his life and uh, was shocked at the barcode scanner, was like amazed by the barcode scanner. And that sort of, you know, that blew up because it shows how out of touch he is. And here you have <laughs> Dr. Oz saying, I'm here at Wegner's. <laughs> And I'm getting crudite. Like, he's trying to be relatable, and in the process of doing it, he accidentally proves the exact opposite. Wow. Okay, but we're not done yet. So, uh, he also released another video. Um, it, it was an ad going after Fetterman. And his line of attack against Fetterman has been, in my opinion, really stupid. Because it's very one-note, and um, it's not nuanced enough to deal with somebody like Fetterman. Fetterman has working-class appeal... Even just, you know, the way he presents, how he doesn't, like, wear a suit, he dresses like a regular dude, he looks like a regular dude, that, in this populist era, that actually helps Fetterman. You know, he's wearing, he was wearing, like, basketball shorts in a winter storm in a picture that went viral, you know, last winter. Um, so this argument of, like, oh, he's a radical, he's a socialist, it's not gonna land. It's not going to land because people look at him and they hear him talk and they go, no, he reminds me of my friend Jeff, who's very nice and sweet and, and normal, right? So uh, they, he runs this ad against Dr. Oz. And in the ad, we get this still shot. Uh, he's the most radical candidate in the country is the tweet that Dr. Oz put. And then in the ad, if you freeze it at 30 seconds, it's AOC holding up a sign. That says, free health care for everyone. And again, he is bashing this as like, what a terrible idea. Of course, I quote tweeted it and said, free health care for all, like every other developed country. Oh, no. What, look, what he doesn't understand is that even the way that he phrased it on that sign is like, the way that a pollster would frame that if they wanted to get the answer of like 80% of the country supporting that policy. Like, it, there's zero, they're not, okay, how do I say this? They are not uh, characterizing it in a way that helps build their argument. Like, they could have said, you know, socialist big government takeover of healthcare, right? <laughs> or banning your private healthcare, Something along those lines. Or, I mean, I guess those are the, the worst ways you could frame it, right? But they don't. They, they do free health care for everyone as if that's bad. Of, of course people are going to look at that and think, that seems kind of based. That seems awesome. I support that. So, I mean, look, it's hard to get away from this conclusion. I think that there are probably people in Dr. Oz's campaign who don't want him to win. There are people who are actively 
trying to like sabotage him. Because this is, I mean, we're talking about election 101 stuff here. You don't frame it in a way that makes your opponent look better. You frame it in a way that makes you look better. Like authoritarian government takeover of healthcare is, is what you'd put, right? You put free healthcare for everyone. What, what are you doing? That is super based. So, but I'm still not done, man. So then you had Fetterman busting up Dr. Oz left and right over his Wegners and Crudite thing. I don't, to my knowledge, Fetterman hasn't gone after this particular thing yet. The uh, free healthcare for everyone being in that ad, even though this screenshot sort of went viral on Twitter. Um, but Fetterman released an ad, and I want to show you that ad to, so you can compare and contrast with how Dr. Oz is doing. I'm John Fetterman, and I approve this message. The truth is our economy is a mess because of Washington. The rich, powerful, the insiders, and the lobbyists. Already a good ad. Already a good ad. Hitting the corruption, the insiders, the lobbyists, you know, Washington. Because that, that comes across to your average voter, and accurately so, as like, this guy's an outsider, and he's one of us. They're lying about me to take the heat off themselves. It's Washington's fault. They set the rules, weakened our supply chain, and spiked inflation. But we can fix our economy. We must make more stuff in America. Based. Based. This is old school populism that appeals to everybody. Cut taxes for working families. Congress shouldn't play in the... Based. Cut taxes for working families is based. I've often said that for me, as somebody on the left, I've never seen a working class tax cut that I don't support. Why? Because working class people need more money. I don't care how you get it in their hands, but they need more money. I'm telling you, man, this guy's got political skill. Let me run that back just a touch here. Congress shouldn't play in the stock market and take on anyone that gets in the way. That's what I believe in. So he ends it with, I'm John let me play Fetterman that one more time. This message. The truth is our and take on anyone for working families. Congress shouldn't play in the stock market and take on anyone that gets in the way. Congress shouldn't play in the stock market. So in other words, bringing up the um, ban for, you know, D.C. insiders doing insider trading. You know how Pelosi and her husband have been playing the market for years and she has insider information that she gives to him, and then he turns around and makes these investments that, oh, would you look at that? It always happens to work out, and they are multi-millionaires as a, as a result of it. He's hitting that. Look, man, it's a super populist ad, and this has appeal. Um, so there's a reason why Fetterman right now is up double digits on Oz, and he is. It's double digits, son. This is supposed to be... An election year that is easy for Republicans. Red wave season. And it's just not happening, at least in, that, in those Pennsylvania races. It is not happening. Now, even the governor, the, uh, for the governor's race, Shapiro, is up massively. And I think it's Mastriano. And Mastriano is a total psycho. You know, January 6th type. So, I mean, there's stuff to learn. Right. There, there's something to learn from, for example, Warnock and Ossoff winning in Georgia. What did they put front and center in that election? Corruption. 
My opponents are corrupt. My opponents are corrupt. My opponents are corrupt. And oh, by the way, I'm in favor of giving you a $2,000 check. That was their campaign. And they won in Georgia. Supposed to be a red state. And now you have Pennsylvania. This should be a layup election for Oz and for Mastriano. And they are downski. But I saved the best for last. I hope you're still with me. (laughs) Saved the best for last. (laughs) This is in the Daily Beast. Video shows Dr. Oz saying he has two houses. He actually has 10. Bruh. (laughs) Bruh. What are you doing? It's a simple question for most people. How many houses do you own? But apparently it's not so simple for Dr. Oz, says Ursula Pirano, who is the who uh, is the person who released this article here. Let me play this video for you if I can. It's a pleasure to meet you. I want to ask you real quickly. Do you know, how many houses do you own? Well, I legitimately, I own two houses, but um, one of them we're building on. The other one's I rent. Right, and one of them is the one that you marry, marry your wife in, correctly? Yes. That, that, actually, yeah, we, I'm renting that for my mother-in-law. We're building the house next to it. Oh, gotcha. That's very cool. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Anytime somebody asks you how many houses you own, and your initial response is, well, legitimately, what do you mean legitimately? What is it? Legitimately? What, what do you mean? Well, legitimately, like what do you, it's literally the most straightforward question anybody can ask. How many houses do you own? And like, I don't know, 90% of people be like, one? <laughs> He's like, uh, well, two, but we rented out and we're adding stuff on. And uh, yeah, uh, that, that sounds about right. Okay. You ready for the specifics? This is glorious. In fact, according to public records, Dr. Oz owns 10 properties, a 9,000 square foot mansion in New Jersey. By the way, let me pause on this just to tell you guys, 99% of the population is already excluded from being able to afford just one of his 10 properties. 9,000 square feet? That is gargantuan, son. You could have like a family of seven or eight and still have people get lost in 9,000 square feet. What are we, 9,000 square feet? That's crazy. A 7,000 square foot country house in Pennsylvania. Wow. A condo in New Jersey, a piece of residential real estate in Sarie, Turkey, another piece of residential real estate in Sarie, Turkey, a Manhattan condo, another Manhattan condo, an Oceanside mansion in Palm Beach, Florida a cattle farm in Okeechobee, Florida, and a piece of residential property in Kanya, Turkey, which appears to be used as a student dormitory. So they go on to say here in the Daily Beast article, Oz's wife, Lisa, owns a mansion in Maine with her family and a pool house next to Oz's New Jersey mansion. While Oz does rent out some of these properties, at times sharing them with questionable tenants, he is not renting them from others. He owns them legally and legitimately, and they make up a sizable portion of his assets, which total at least $100 million. Look, the the crux of the Fetterman campaign is to paint Oz as, number one, he's an outsider. He's from New Jersey. He's not from Pennsylvania. So he's a carpetbagger. But also, he's elitist. And understand something, guys. It would be one thing if Dr. Oz was massively wealthy, right, and he doesn't lie about stuff like this, but then he also turns around and says, you know what? Raise my taxes. I want you to raise my taxes. I want to give people health care. I want to raise the minimum wage. I want to bring back strong unions. 
it would be one thing if that's what he was doing, because then he would be, uh, as they said about FDR back in the day, a traitor to his class, which we should welcome with open arms. But that's not what he's doing. He's lying about the number of houses that he has, and his policies would continue to benefit people like himself while screwing over working people. So, 100 million DZACs. Good googly moogly, son. That's a lot of money. But there you have it. Oh, one more fact to wrap up this story. Uh, ever since the Wegners and Crudite video dropped, Fetterman has raised five hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand <laughs> Oz is it's almost it's almost like he's trying to lose right now now we move on let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Joe Biden and the Democrats so we discussed the other day the Inflation Reduction Act the IRA it passed the House or excuse me it passed the Senate first and then the question was, hey, is it going to pass the House? And I was a little skeptical on that front because you have Josh Gottheimer, who's a massively corrupt corporate Democrat who's beholden to Big Pharma and Wall Street. And he has a group that they call the Unbreakable Nine. And if three of those so-called Unbreakable Nine wanted to strike down this legislation, they could have done it. They could have done it. Now, they didn't do it. It turns out they didn't want to be the donkey of the day in the spotlight of the media where the media says, hey, you're blocking this, you know, historic legislation that even Manchin and Cinema have now agreed to. So um, it ended up passing the House and then it goes to Biden's desk. So Biden just did the official signing of it yesterday and there was a lot of media coverage. He gave uh, Joe Manchin the pen that he used to sign it supposed to be like, you know, whatever, a sign of solidarity with Joe Manchin. Uh, my recommendation to Biden would have been to hand Joe Manchin a giant bag of dicks because Joe Manchin is the reason that this bill doesn't have universal pre-K. Joe Manchin is the reason this bill doesn't have elder care. Joe Manchin is the reason this bill doesn't have free college. Joe Manchin is the reason this doesn't have an extended child tax credit. Joe Manchin is the reason that this doesn't have a Medicare expansion. So, I mean, I could sit here and go on and on. The provisions of the original Build Back Better were the biggest transformation of our economy since FDR and the New Deal. And he took hatchet to it. So did Kirsten Cinema. So, look, yes, we got something here. Uh, and Biden's being nice and giving him the pen. But we need to keep things in perspective as to where we really are and how much further we have to go. But anyway, after Biden signs the legislation, he then gives a speech about the Inflation Reduction Act. And um, this is uncharacteristic for Biden. Now, we all know Biden as the guy who, you know, I like to reach across the aisle. I like to be bipartisan. I like to, even after getting my eye spit in by somebody like Mitch McConnell, I say positive things about him in speeches. Well, it appears like old Joe um, is a wee bit fed up. He's a wee bit fed up. Because when you've been negotiating in good faith for an extended period of time, and they have not... Well, the human response after a while is to sort of get your guard up and say, you know what, screw you. So listen to his, uh, his comments here and forgive the audio a little bit. I think there's a little bit of like static in the background. There's nothing I could really do about that. But anyway, here we go. Inflation Reduction Act does so many things that for so many years, so many of us have fought to make happen. 
And let's be clear. In this historic moment, Democrats sided with the American people and every single Republican in the Congress sided with the special interest in this vote. Every single one. That's already stronger than anything I've ever heard out of Joe Biden. Remember, he's the guy who said, hey, after Trump is out of office, the Republican fever will break and they'll be more reasonable and they'll be willing to work with us. And now he's out there saying every single one of them sided with the special interests. Every single one of them sided against the American people. In fact, the big drug big drug companies spent nearly one hundred million dollars to defeat this bill. A hundred million dollars. And remember, every single Republican in Congress voted against this bill. He's flat out saying they're corrupt. They're corrupt. Big Pharma spent a hundred million dollars to try to kill this thing, and they held Big Pharma's hands and gave them a massage. They agree with Big Pharma. They're not with the American people. Again, this is more aggressive than I've ever seen from him. Every single Republican Congress voted against lowering prescription drug prices, against lowering health care costs, against the fair tax system. Every single Republican, every single one voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good paying jobs. My fellow Americans, that's the choice we face. We can protect the already powerful or show the courage to build a future where everybody has an even shot. That's the America I believe in. That's what I believe in. And today, and today, we've come a step closer to making that America real. Today, too often, we confuse noise with substance. Too often, we confuse, we confuse setbacks with defeat. Too often, we hand the biggest microphones to the critics and the cynics who delight in declaring failure while those committed to making real progress do the hard work of governing. Making progress in this country is a, as big and complicated as ours clearly is not easy. It's never been easy. But with unwavering conviction, commitment, and patience, progress does come. Your dad was right. And when it does, like today, people's lives are made better, and the future becomes brighter, and a nation can be transformed. That's what's happening now. All right. So there you go. Look, the, the tone that he's using against the Republican politicians is not something I've ever heard from him before. And it's something that I definitely support. My only area of disagreement is I, I'm really averse to the way in which Democratic politicians and the media is portraying what happened with this bill. Because, look, the fact of the matter is they're saying, oh, my God, it's so historic. It's so amazing. It's so unbelievable. The fact of the matter is Democrats did the bare minimum here. Now, when I say they did the bare minimum, that does mean the bare minimum. In other words, it's better than absolutely nothing at all, right? And I'm going to get to the provisions of the bill in a second and you can make up your own mind about that. But it's not to it's not to take away credit from what this is, but it needs to be in context and in perspective that ultimately we're talking about a fraction of what the original debate was around. When we were talking about $3.5 trillion in spending, and now we're down to, what is it, $775 billion? So I just, want, I just want people to react to this appropriately, which is to say, 
congrats, you did the bare minimum. Now, in today's political climate, even doing the bare minimum, the Democrats are going to get rewarded for this. And in fact, already have been rewarded from it, according to, you know, all the polls that are coming out recently, because they used to be down six to eight points to Republicans in the midterms. Now they're dead tied or even slightly ahead. Biden's approval rating used to be 33%. Now it's bumped all the way up to 40%. And I suspect it'll go up a little more, maybe 42 or 44%, something along those lines. Because there has been, you know, a whole bunch of legislative victories, even though they're weak and milk toast and, you know, we could criticize them until the cows come home. The fact of the matter is we got the PACT Act, which is health care for veterans who were exposed to toxic burn pits. We got the um, the CHIPS Act, which is an attempt to bring back microchip manufacturing in the U.S. for national security reasons, because microchips are made mostly in Taiwan now. And with the pandemic and the supply chain issues, we realize, hey, we can't outsource everything. We sort of need this industry here. That's another thing that they did. They did get a, a gun reform bill through, which, again, was as weak as humanly possible, but they did get something through. Um, and then you mix in the Roe versus Wade thing, you mix in January 6th, and you mix in now the IRA, you're going to see a bump in the polls for Democrats. But everybody just needs to keep in mind, this was absolutely the bare minimum. There's no way around that. But having said that, it shows that the Republicans are even against the bare minimum. So this bill specifically, and we've gone over this before, but for anybody who hasn't seen those segments or, or listened to them, I want to give them um, the details so they can make up their own mind on this stuff. But in the Inflation Reduction Act, we have clean electricity tax credits, $161 billion worth. Then we have money for uh, air pollution, hazardous materials, transportation, and infrastructure. So in other words, help to clean up the air pollution and hazardous materials and build up some new infrastructure. That's $40 billion. Individual clean energy incentives, $37 billion. Clean manufacturing tax credits, to incentivize clean manufacturing, $37 billion. Clean fuel and vehicle tax credits. So that's the thing that people are talking about. I don't know the exact number, $6,000 or $7,000 a pop if you buy certain electric vehicles. Um, that is $36 billion goes towards that. Conservation, rural development, and forestry, $35 billion. Um, then you got building efficiency, $27 billion. Other energy and climate spending, $14 billion. Now here is one of the most important provisions in my opinion. Because this is where you'll see like the most impact extension of expanded ACA subsidies. So what that means in layman's terms is you have more funding for Obamacare. So more money going towards people's health care. That's 64 billion towards that. Now, again, I think it's important to clarify. Biden used to talk about a public option all the time on the campaign trail. And then he got in office and he hasn't talked about it at all. Why? Because he's paid by the for-profit health insurance companies. So in some ways, this is a massive betrayal. But again, $64 billion towards healthcare is also, let's not kid ourselves, $64 billion more than any Republican would do. Uh, and really, the conversation we should be having is, let's get Medicare for all, right? But anyway, $64 billion uh, towards expanded Obamacare. Then we have um, a repeal of the Trump era drug rebate rule, $122 billion. A drug price inflation cap, $101 billion. And then you have negotiation of certain drug prices. $99 billion goes towards that. Now, of course, the problem with this provision is that it's only certain drugs. It's not all of them. Um, and I think it kicks in a few years in the future. So, in other words, Big Pharma got their greedy little paws on it and watered it down to the high heavens. But the bare minimum we were able to get through was, we'll negotiate for some drugs and we'll do it in the future. And then 
in my opinion, flat out, the best provision is the 15% corporate minimum tax. Because you guys know, we've covered the stories on this show, some corporations pay 0% in taxes. Zero. Some corporations have what's called a negative income tax rate, which is they actually get welfare from the government, from taxpayers. They get a net subsidy at the end of the year. I think Honeywell was one of them. Of course, you know, they're a, a defense contractor. There's been a number of them. Again, we've covered it. So that's now going, going, gonzo. That's a phenomenal provision. Um, but again, it's still a shadow of what we could have and should have gotten with Build Back Better. And then, of course, you have the increase in IRS enforcement. Now, Republicans are spinning this like uh, Democrats are going to go after the working class. The fact of the matter is in the bill, there is a provision that talks about how nobody under $400,000 gets their taxes raised. So the beefing back up of the IRS really in many ways is just to sort of fix it from how Trump destroyed it. But also it's to make sure you can target corporations and wealthy people. And then you have the closure of the carried interest loophole. I don't think made it into the final bill. They tweak that. There's a big loophole in that. But what did make it into the final bill is a 1% tax on stock buybacks. Now, stock buybacks should be totally illegal. They should be banned. Ronald Reagan legalized them in 1982. It's just a scam for corporations to, uh, you know, boost their own stock price up. Um, so it should be banned. But insofar as it's going to exist, yeah, tax the shit out of it for sure. So anyway, that's that's the legislation. Or as I call it again, the bare minimum. Um but the fact of the matter is Republicans were even against the bare minimum. And Joe Biden, for the first time in a long time, maybe ever, went on the offense. Let's continue here. We have, this is some, this is some big news. It's big news for a number of reasons that I'm going to explain here as we go along. But the Trump Organization CFO is expected to plead guilty in a New York tax case. So this is for, you know, any and all doubters who would think when I go on my long rants about how Donald Trump is the shadiest businessman of all time. I mean, he was in real estate in New York City in the 1980s, which virtually guarantees a mafia relationship. When you look at the history of his businesses and even the public reporting on it, we know he was doing all sorts of trickery and deceit and fraud in terms of his taxes and his insurance, etc., now, some people may have been skeptical of that. Well, here's another piece of evidence. The Trump Organization CFO is expected to plead guilty in New York tax case. So here are the specifics of that. This is according to the AP. Donald Trump's longtime finance chief is expected to plead guilty as soon as Thursday in a tax evasion case that is the only criminal prosecution to arise from a long-running investigation into the former president's company. Three people familiar with the matter told the Associated Press. So let me pause there to let you guys know that is true. This is the only criminal case for Trump and his circle uh, in regards to his businesses, I should say. Um, but Trump is uh, currently being brought up on civil charges, which basically means that worst case scenario, he's not going to get jail time. But worst case scenario, at least in relation to that, he can get the corporate death penalty. Which, hold your horses, I'll give you the idea you might think, oh, my God, that's far fetched. Wrong. Because this has happened not too long ago to Donald Trump. Anyway, Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg was scheduled to be tried in October on allegations he took more than $1.7 million in off-the-books compensation from the company, including rent, car payments, and school tuition. Prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and Weisselberg's lawyers met Monday with the judge overseeing the case. 
Juan Manuel Merchan, according to court records. The judge then scheduled a hearing in the matter for 9 a.m. Thursday, but did not specify the reason. The people who spoke to the AP did so on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly about the case. They said the purpose of Thursday's hearing was for Weisselberg to enter a guilty plea. But caution that plea deals sometimes fall apart before they are finalized in court. Weisselberg's lawyer, Nicholas Gravante Jr., told the New York Times on Monday that Weisselberg has been engaged in plea negotiations to resolve the case, but did not specify terms of a potential plea deal reached by the AP. Gravante declined to comment. The Times, citing two people with knowledge of the matter, said Weiselberg was expected to receive a five-month jail sentence, which would make him eligible for release after about 100 days. The deal would not require Weiselberg to testify or cooperate in any way with an ongoing criminal investigation into Trump's business practices. So that's an important piece of information. In other words, this guy's not going to flip. He's not going to flip. Now, I have no doubt that probably the main reason why they went after Trump's CFO is to get him to flip on Trump and, you know, be able to get Trump on some criminal charges. But it appears like he's not going to flip on Trump. Now, again, that doesn't mean that, like, all hope is lost on on the Trump front and holding him accountable for his various crimes, because there's still a criminal investigation going on in Georgia right now over the fake elector scheme and over Trump calling and saying, find me 11,000 votes. Um, And there's still, of course, the FBI investigation over his handling of of very high-level top-secret documents. So there's other cases going on on that front, but it looked like the hope was, let's get Trump CFO to flip on him so we have a criminal case to build against him in New York in regards to his shady business practices. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office declined comment. A message-seeking comment was left with the lawyer for the Trump Organization. News of Weisselberg's plea negotiations came days after the judge denied requests by his lawyers and the Trump Organization to throw out the case. The judge did drop one criminal tax fraud count against the company, citing the statute of limitations, but more than a dozen other counts remain. In seeking dismissal of the case, Weisselberg's lawyers argued prosecutors in the Democrat-led district attorney's office were punishing him because he wouldn't offer up damaging information against the former president. The judge rejected that argument, saying that evidence presented to the grand jury was legally sufficient to support the charges. So in other words, they were trying to say, look, this is politically driven. You should dismiss it. They're just trying to get me to flip on Trump. And the judge was like, I can see the evidence and he's guilty of crime. So we're going to go ahead and uh, allow this to stand. Weisselberg, who turned 75 on Monday, is the only Trump executive charged in the years-long criminal investigation started by former Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr., who went to the Supreme Court to secure Trump's tax records. Vance's successor, Alvin Bragg, is now overseeing the investigation. Several other Trump executives have been granted immunity to testify before a grand jury in the case. That's interesting. Prosecutors allege that Weisselberg and the Trump Organization schemed to give off the books compensation to senior executives, including Weisselberg, for 15 years. Weisselberg alone was accused of defrauding the federal government, state and city out of more than $900,000 in unpaid taxes and undeserved tax refunds. The most serious charge against Weisselberg, grand larceny, carried a potential penalty of 5 to 15 years in prison. The tax fraud charges against the company are punishable by a fine of double the amount of unpaid taxes or $250,000, whichever is larger. Trump has not been charged in the criminal probe, but prosecutors have noted that he signed some of the checks at the center of the case. Trump, who has decried the New York investigations as a political witch hunt, has said his company's actions were standard practice in the real estate business and in no way a crime. Last week, Trump sat for a deposition in New York Attorney General Letitia James, a parallel civil investigation, And as you guys know, he pleaded the fifth 
440 times. Now, um, so the news about Weisselberg is interesting. He's going to spend time behind bars, but he is not flipping on Trump. But the investigations into Trump's businesses, that continues because of the civil case in New York from Letitia James against Trump. That's when he took uh, the Fifth Amendment 440 times. And really what we're talking about there is tax fraud, business fraud, or, or I should say bank fraud, insurance fraud. And it appears like there's a lot of there there. And ultimately, they could give the Trump organization the corporate death penalty. Now, again, you think, well, you know, that's crazy. I don't think that's going to happen. Understand, guys, what happened with uh, Donald Trump's scam university? Remember this story? Trump University? Look at this. This is all the way back in 2018. Federal court approves $25 million Trump University settlement. A federal court approved a $25 million settlement with students who said they were duped by Donald Trump and is now defunct Trump University. So just to explain, the way it technically works with civil court is that there is no innocent and guilty. I mean, you, people can sort of use that as shorthand in describing it. But since there's like, he's, you know, he didn't go to prison, right? But he did pay out $25 million because he defrauded people with a fake university. <laughs> so when, if you say the word guilty colloquially, people are going to be like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. A federal court approved a $25 million settlement on, th on Tuesday with students who said they were duped by Donald Trump and his now defunct Trump University, which promised to teach them secrets of success in the real estate industry. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco finalized the settlement after it was first approved by a judge last March following an appeal by Sherry Simpson, a Florida woman who said she spent roughly $19,000 on Trump University workshops. Simpson had wanted to opt out of a class action suit in order to pursue a separate suit against Trump, but the court rejected that. Students had alleged that Trump University, which was open from 2005 to 2010, used false advertising and high-pressure sales techniques to lure them to free investor workshops at which they were sold expensive seminars and told they would be mentored by real estate gurus, leading to the loss of thousands of dollars in tuition. Now, this is a classic scam move, guys. It's called upselling. And that's exactly what they did. And a lot of the claims that they made are just flat out false. This idea, oh, you're going to talk to real estate gurus. No, you're going to talk to random douchebags that uh, Trump hired who are smooth talkers. Other thing, I, I remember covering this back in the day. And one of the things they would promise is like, if you get like the deluxe package is one-on-one -on -one time with Donald Trump. And they didn't get that one-on-one -on -one time with Donald Trump. And if they had the people take a picture next to a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump. The whole thing was a fucking scam. Not to mention the fact you can't just call something a university. You need to be accredited as a university. And he brazenly ignored that rule. Uh, a one-year apprenticeship at the Educational Institute costs $1,495. A membership over $10,000. And gold elite classes ran $35,000. Trump faced two lawsuits in California and one in New York, brought by New York Attorney General at the time, Eric Schneiderman. They were folded into one class action suit after Trump was elected, according to court documents. Trump paid $25 million in January of last year, but it was held in escrow until the court upheld the settlement, according to the Associated Press. So, in other words, a former president of the United States committed fraud, um, and had to pay for it. And so now Trump University is going, going gonzo. And it is on the table. The corporate death penalty is on the table for Trump's businesses. And 
I think we're at the point now where even Trump thinks he's in trouble because, again, you have all the cases piling up, whether it's the Georgia case over the fake electors and trying to overthrow the election by saying, find me 11,000 votes, or it's uh, the various New York cases, or if it's the FBI investigation. And there are some right-wing commentators now who are saying, oh, we look to be in a wee bit of trouble. So anyway, um, that's the news on the Trump legal front. I'll have some more news for you in a little bit. But his CFO is going downski. And so he may be in a little bit of trouble. Now, let's talk about another person in Donald Trump's orbit. This is in The Guardian. Rudy Giuliani informed he is the target of a criminal investigation in Georgia. Rudy is being investigated. The former New York mayor has been identified as a key figure in Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the result of the 2020 election. So this is the criminal investigation that has proceeded the furthest as it pertains to Trump and his inner circle. Donald Trump's former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, is a target of the criminal investigation in Georgia that has been examining efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election in that state by former president and his allies, a source briefed on the matter confirmed on Monday. The move to designate Giuliani, 78 years old, as a target as opposed to a subject raises the legal stakes for the ex-New York mayor, identified as a key figure in the attempt to reverse the former president's electoral defeat to Joe Biden in the state. Now, let me pause here to tell you, Giuliani was one of the chief architects of attempting to overthrow the election. Now, he's massively incompetent, so he failed gloriously, but he was one of the chief architects. Um, and I think they're going to touch on some of the m- more specifics here as to what he did. There's also another prominent Republican senator who uh, this investigation is looking into. Maybe the other one's not the the subject of a criminal investigation, but they were hands-on with the attempt to overthrow the election in Georgia. So anyway, we'll get to that in just a little bit here. It also raises the legal pressure on Trump, who is himself facing increased legal exposure amid a Justice Department investigation over his unlawful retention of government documents. That's something that uh, we've been talking a lot about recently. The notice that Giuliani was now a target of the Georgia investigation came on Monday from the office of Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. The source said being identified as a target means only that a person may be a defendant in the event of an indictment. Still, the disclosure earlier reported by The New York Times presents Giuliani with difficult choices, including whether to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination in a deposition or cooperate in the hopes of earning leniency at sentencing. There are reports coming out today that Giuliani is saying my main goal right now is to die a free man. That is curious. That might be a sign of, um, hey, maybe I'm willing to make a deal with y'all, depending on how much dirt you got on me. And by the way, there's plenty of dirt on him because, by the way, he argued some of the court cases, you know, the 60 plus rigged election court cases. Giuliani argued some of them. I mean, he hasn't practiced law since the 1990s, but he told Trump, yeah, let me argue it for you. And he performed so poorly that one of the judges who listened to, you know, his spiel said, you're not even like bringing up the relevant statutes here when trying to build your case. And in the same phone call with the judge, he both argued 
fraud and also argued, I'm not alleging fraud. He's just, he, God, he's such a mess, this guy. The target designation came after Fulton County judge said informing Giuliani about his status would give some clarity on what impact that has on the extent of his time in front of the grand jury. Given he is expected to take a lengthy road trip from Georgia or trip to Georgia from New York, Giuliani is under scrutiny by the special grand jury because of his in- integral role in the former president's potentially unlawful scheme to pressure Republican legislatures to send to Congress fake electoral certificates for Trump in states like Georgia actually won by Biden. That effort, coordinated in part by Giuliani alongside the Trump campaign and Trump White House officials, is also the subject of the congressional inquiry into the Capitol attack being conducted by the House January 6th Select Committee, as well as a separate Justice Department investigation. Giuliani is additionally understood to be under investigation for propagating false claims about fraud in the 2020 election, including that thousands of underage teenagers had voted illegally in Georgia, a claim disproven in an audit conducted by the Secretary of State. But that's the thing, like, you get these guys dead to rights, what they say is factually incorrect, and they plow ahead anyway. The only accountability I've seen on that front is when Dominion sued, and maybe Smartmatic or one of the other voting machine companies, they sued One America News Network, they sued Newsmax, and basically got them to come out on air and say, look, uh, there's no evidence that these machines are controlled by Venezuela or, you know, uh, Maduro or whatever, fill in the blank, because the lies were so egregious. And a court ruled, yes, these cases have merit to them. We have, we're incredibly lenient on the issue of speech in this country, as we should be. We believe in free speech here. But you can't just flat out lie maliciously on purpose about something like the election being stolen because of these voting machines, because that also materially damaged them in the future from getting any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of contract for future elections. So judges said, hey, man, stop. You can't lie anymore. And Newsmax and One American News Network um, probably are going to have to pay a lot of money over that. And now they're caught. They're catching Giuliani totally dead to rights with a disproven claim. Now, that's the lower of the charges, though, because he was instrumental in setting up the fake elector scam. Guys, they actually did it with documents and everything, like fake documents and everything. The latest legal development for Giuliani came the same day that a federal judge rejected an attempt by another prominent Trump ally, the Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, to avoid testifying in the same investigation before the special grand jury in Atlanta, Georgia. So Graham is being looked at, too. In the ruling against Graham, U.S. District Court Judge Lee Martin May said that prosecutors showed there was a special need for Mr. Graham's testimony on issues relating to alleged attempts to influence or disrupt the lawful administration of Georgia's 2022 elections. Graham is scheduled to testify on August 23rd, although he has said he will appeal. Graham, a subject in the investigation, according to his lawyers, is a person of interest because he placed two calls to the Georgia Secretary of State in 2020 and asked about ways to invalidate certain mail-in votes. These guys were committing crimes on some nonchalant blasé shit. You can't do that, bro. You can't do that. He did it. He did it. So, in the case of Giuliani, look, they have it on video. Like, they have him setting up the whole fake elector scheme on video. Now, Lindsey Graham, I don't know if those phone calls are recorded, but Trump 
his phone calls recorded the find me 11,000 votes. This is prop of all the cases. This is the one with the most there there. And this is the one that is most likely to bring about shocking results. Whether it's Giuliani being found guilty, whether it's Trump being found guilty, whether it's the specific fake electors that they used actually going to prison, which they might, um, that's all on the table. And Rudy, it finally caught up with him. Being a totally unhinged lunatic uh, and, you know, going around trying to make Trump emperor, <laughs> that, that finally caught up with him. So he's the target of a criminal investigation. And honestly, I lean in the direction of he's going down. There's just too much evidence. There's just too much there, there. Uh, unless he cuts a deal and gets a lighter sentence or gets out. But who would he have to give up in a deal? Hmm, I don't know. Let me think about that one. I think you guys know the answer to that. So things are definitely getting spicy. Now I'm going to shift on over to... Uh, to Fox News, because this is, this actually surprised me a little bit. So Mediaite clipped this out. Tucker Carlson breaks it to his MAGA audience that Trump will obviously, quote, obviously be indicted after the FBI raid. So let's see, uh, let's see what he says. Well, there's FBI is just simply carrying out their responsibilities. Of course they are. Come on, will you support law enforcement? There's nothing to see here. I unironically think that the FBI is just carrying out their responsibilities. And the reason I say that is because they went and asked Trump politely, please turn over these classified and top secret and super top secret documents. And Trump said, oh, sure, no problem. Go, go ahead and turn them all over. And then what happened? He only turned over some of them. They knew he was lying and he still had some. And that's when they did the raid. How can that be viewed in any other way except they're just doing their job? That's the line. And no doubt Asa Hutchinson and Mitch McConnell and Dan Crenshaw and the rest of them will be telling you the very same thing when the Biden Justice Department or some other state law enforcement agency under their influence finally does what you know they're going to do, which is indict Donald Trump. Obviously, they're going to do that. Um, I, I didn't think that was obvious. I mean, it's 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 likely is a word I would use, but you got to understand Hillary Clinton was under investigation and they basically did a press conference where Comey announced, here's all of the crimes she committed. And by the way, we're not going to charge her with any crimes. So. For him to say that is a little surprising to me. Oh, he's obviously going to be indicted. Like. Really? <laughs> I mean, shit, I'll take it. Right. But. He seems more sure of it than I am. And by the way, I love the fact that he's going after all of the establishment Republicans because it's like that meme that you see on Twitter, the let them fight meme. I guess not. Is it a gif or a meme? Whatever. Um, it's let them fight. Yeah, let them fight, man. Let them fight. Now, the Republican politicians, they have a public position and a private position on this. The public position is, oh, this is so unfair to Donald Trump. Please stop it. The private position is, for the love of God, take this fucker down because we don't think we could win a general election in the presidential race with him. We don't think that's possible. He's too extreme. It's not going to work. Um, so 
the the Republican Civil War, as time goes by, gets more and more apparent, more and more clear. You know, the Mitch McConnell types, the, um, I guess you could say Adam Kinzinger is sort of thrown in there, but really he's more in the Liz Cheney camp of like, all he talks about is how bad Trump is and, and January 6th and the rigged election. But, you know, a guy like Patch McGee over here, <laughs> he, uh, sorry, I'm <laughs> wildly inappropriate, but we're going to go with it. Uh, Patch McGee is still solidly on the right, even with most of his rhetoric. But, you know, he's probably more in that Mitch McConnell camp, and he's vehemently anti, like, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. So, I mean, one side in this civil war has a lot more power and uh, has many more in terms of their numbers, but just the fact that Tucker, who's the number one host, is openly going after somebody like Mitch McConnell shows quite a bit of disunity. Who knows how? Maybe they'll produce surveillance video from Mar-a-Lago. Apparently, they've already subpoenaed that. We'll spend the next year talking about how it shows Trump mishandling classified information. Really? On the server? Remember the endless Russia collusion hoax? We're in for a lot more of that. Okay, see, that that pisses me off. Because you guys all know I was a massive critic of Russiagate. Why? Because the policy stance with Russia did not match up with the notion that Trump was a Putin puppet. So I was very skeptical of that. This is not that. It's almost like there are different things in the world that you need to analyze each one objectively. And in this instance, he appears to have done the shit that they're saying he did. Now, why he did that is an open question, right? And you could be of the mindset, this is because of incompetence, this is because of laziness, this is because he thought he was going to remain in office because he was convinced of the conspiracy theory, so with one week left, he threw everything in boxes and went to Mar-a-Lago, and so that's all this is. So he didn't have any nefarious intent, so sort of let him slide for taking the classified information. You can have that position, right? But... I don't think you can object to this on the actual facts. So either your position is it's incompetence and he's just an idiot and he didn't follow the law when he should have because he's reckless or the other potential theory, as we've talked about, is, hey, maybe he took some stuff so that he can sell it. And there is evidence for that. You know, the evidence is when he was supposed to turn it over, he didn't turn all of it over. Why? Why are you holding some back? What are you holding it back for? And then you look at, you know, you follow the money, trace the financial situation, and you find out Jared Kushner just got $2 billion from Saudi Arabia. Donald Trump, it's rumored, got $100 million to host a Saudi golf tour event at his course in New Jersey. Well, I don't know about you guys, but if um, somebody gives me $2 billion or $100 million, or even the hundreds of thousands that he took when he was in office from Saudi Arabia through his D.C. hotel... Usually they're looking for something in return. Now, what are those things? I don't know. Could it be the the names and salaries of um, spies? Could be. Could it be nuclear information? Well, we know Saudi's been lobbying for more nuclear information. So for him to just swat it aside, oh, it was just like, just like the Rushgate thing. No. No. And you'll notice they can't, they never give specifics on this. They have to go, well, what about that other thing? No, no, no. Let's talk about the specifics in this case. 
which, by the way, we can talk about because I have the exact things that Trump is uh, charged with in the warrant. Gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information, which carries a penalty of up to 10 years in prison. Concealment, removal, or mutilation generally, which carries a penalty of up to three years in prison and disqualification from holding office. Destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations and bankruptcy, which carries a penalty of up to 20 years. So, this serious stuff, man. How Trump is a criminal. And if you express any support for him or any interest in retaining, I don't know, the rights of free speech and due process, you're a criminal too. In fact, you are. What the fuck are you talking about free speech for? This has absolutely nothing to do with free speech in any way, shape, or form. And no, the FBI is not targeting the audience. The FBI is targeting Donald Trump. I mean, it's just, this is so ginned up. It's phony. He doesn't mean and believe the things he's saying. The threat. You're the threat. And just mentioning that you disagree with what is happening is an attack on our government. That's their style. Just the- No, you're allowed to disagree, but if you disagree, you're wrong and you're silly. Again, you could disagree on why he took the documents. There's reasonable people on both sides of that specific disagreement. But I don't find it reasonable to shriek and yelp and moan that this whole thing is a massive witch hunt when it clearly is not. They gave him every out in the world and he didn't take it. He could have turned over all the documents. He didn't. The other day, after signing off of the Mar-a-Lago raid, your attorney general, Merrick Garland, came on stage to whine about how actually he was the victim here. He's oh, my God. Victim. Apparently, some people disagreed with the raid. So the FBI, the most heavily armed domestic law enforcement agency in the world, is now under threat from you. Right. Merrick Garland gave this speech immediately after an Ohio far right terrorist tried to shoot up an FBI building. The FBI building in Ohio. That's when he gave the speech. Hey, we're not going to stand for the threats. Why? Because it turns out there was just an attempted mass shooting at an FBI building. Now, it didn't work out because there's more security at an FBI building than most buildings, right? But they ended up getting in a shootout. The guy ended up dying. There's been a massive influx of direct threats of violence. So why is he bringing up that, hey, you know, be easy. He's bringing that up because they are being victimized right now. They are. It's a fact. And by the way, notice, okay, this, I, this point is driving me crazy. People are not digesting this very basic point. Why is it that the left, when Hillary Clinton was investigated by the FBI, what did the left say? The actual left, not the Democratic Party hacks. The actual left was like, good. <laughs> like, I hope she goes down. What was the reaction from leftists like myself when James Comey came out and announced, here are all the crimes that Hillary committed. Here's all the classified documents and top secret documents. And by the way, some of them were breached because she was using an unsecure email. I said, they're announcing her crimes. Charge her. And they didn't charge her. And I was against them not charging her. I wanted them to charge her. Because she committed crimes. And I feel the same way about Trump. All this talk of like, oh, well, the FBI is really bad. Well, you know, people, there are plenty of people who don't like the cops, but when the cops arrested fucking Harvey Weinstein, people went, based. This isn't that hard to wrap your mind around, man. It's really not. And everybody's being so disingenuous. You're the criminal. Our critics are in jail, but I got anonymous threats on Twitter. Poor me. Passive aggression is the defining characteristic of the left. 
just going to ignore the increase in direct threats of violence and ignore the attempted mass shooting at an FBI building. And he's going to ignore the person who stormed into the barricade in front of the Capitol and then killed himself. Now, we don't know the specifics of that one yet, but I would not be surprised at all if it was another one tied to the MAGA situation. They started putting people in camps. NBC News would cheer them on and then attack you for complaining about it. How dare you? Violating our norms. We've always had camps. When you have these woke revolutions... Shut the fuck up with this ad. He brought up camps at the end of it, man. It, I mean, this is unhinged. This is unhinged. But anyway, look, the main point of this segment is just to show you how Tucker himself is like, Trump, he's going to get indicted. And he seems more sure than anybody that I've seen. Because, look, the, the general rule in the U.S. is what? The elite get away with their crimes. It's almost an axiom at this point. Um, so that's why even given all the moving pieces, I think I'm just, I just have to, I just have to state agnosticism overall in certain moments. I lean towards, yeah, he, he's going to go down. He might go down, but in other moments, that very famous tweet pops up in my mind. Let's see old Donnie wriggle his way out of this jam. And then he wriggles his way out easily. Ah, well, nevertheless, like anything's possible. And I'm not even convinced that that's necessarily going to happen, but Tucker appears very convinced of it. Um, I just hope that he's right. Okay. This story blew up online yesterday for obvious reasons. This is in The Independent. Louisiana woman forced to carry fetus missing skull to term or travel to Florida for abortion. A new Louisiana law has outlawed, outlawed abortion with very few exceptions. So this is, I mean... What words can you use with this for this story? Um, and what things can you say that wouldn't get you banned off YouTube? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to talk about this story while maintaining your poise. A woman in Louisiana said that she has been told that she must carry a fetus without a skull and part of its head to term or travel out of state to receive an abortion. Nancy Davis, a mother of one, is 13 weeks pregnant. Several weeks ago, an initial ultrasound revealed to Miss Davis that the fetus would have no chance of surviving. No chance. But because Louisiana's abortion ban does not include an exception for acrania, the condition the fetus is suffering from, she cannot get a legal abortion in the state. If Miss Davis does want to get an abortion, she will have to travel out of state to Florida. But time is running out for her to make a decision because Florida has banned abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy giving Miss Davis a small window to schedule an appointment and arrange her travel should she decide to get the procedure. And we don't even know what her financial situation is. Maybe it's cost prohibitive. Louisiana is among the Republican-led states that passed extremely restrictive abortion bans to take effect in a post-Roe v. Wade landscape. The state has banned all abortions, except for cases in which the mother's life is in jeopardy or in some cases in which the fetus is non-viable. I love that. Some cases in which the fetus is not viable. A group of plaintiffs filed a lawsuit to stop the ban from taking effect, but the Louisiana Supreme Court last Friday rejected their appeal. That has left Miss Davis with an extremely limited set of options in trying circumstances, and Miss Davis isn't the only person who has dealt with similar circumstances in recent weeks. So this reminds me of the story. Remember the 10-year-old? 10-year-old who was raped and wanted an abortion and couldn't get it. And by the way, the right at the time 
questioned if that story was even true. They argued like it was fake effectively. And then we learned they literally caught the rapist. And every aspect of that story was true. You know your position sucks when you can't even accept or digest the basic facts of the story without it immediately shattering your position. And that's what they did. They refused to accept it because they knew how terrible it made them look. So they're like, this isn't even real, bro. Turns out it was real. Turns out it was real. And now we had a story. Like, I mean, this is something like out of a horror movie. Forced to carry a skullless fetus missing part of its head to term. Forced to do that. I don't even understand how this makes sense under their logic. Because if the, if the fetus isn't going to make it anyway, and we know that, well then, why wouldn't you allow this issue to be dealt with up front, right now, as soon as possible? They, I, I don't, they really haven't thought through the, the logic of their position, and they really haven't tied up the loose ends. When you talk to certain people on the right, I mean, you get things all over all over the place, right? Some people say there should be no um, exception for rape or incest. I mean, look, some of the hardcore pro-life people probably think even if the life of the mother is in danger, pro-life people, even if even if the mother might die, well, you know, you can't play favorites and pick one over the other because then you're signing up for murder, so you just got to kind of let nature take its course and whatever happens, happens. If the mom dies, the mom dies, right? And this is where we're at. And it all stems from a mistaken notion, a silly notion, that basically the second you're done having sex, there's a third person in the room. It's an active war on nuance. They, they just pretend like a gamete or a zygote is equal to your neighbor Bob. I, I, it's crazy. And by the way, this sort of extremism has consequences. This sort of extremism is one of the main reasons why Democrats went from being down six to eight points in the midterm polls to now they're tying or even slightly leading. It's within the margin of error, but they're still in some polls slightly ahead. This is why. Because Americans don't agree with this. Go ahead, poll, poll this specific case. See what happens. What's it going to be? 98% on one side of it? And this, it's the logical consequence of these primitive, retrograde, backwards-ass laws. Here's, this is where we are. So anyway, for the love of God, change the laws. Let her get the abortion. And by the way, we're going to get a lot more horror stories like this moving forward. Election results. Breaking. Liz Cheney loses her primary to Trump-backed election denier Harriet Hageman? 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 Per projection. Um... So the last I checked, I don't know whether she, she lost by 30 points or 37 points, some, something like that. It wasn't close, dog. It was not close. Um, so why did this happen? I mean, the answer is as straightforward as possible. On this point, the conventional wisdom is correct. It's because she's a crusader for um, holding Trump accountable for trying to overturn the results of Biden winning the election. And, and what happened on January 6th. Now, people are pointing out accurately, it is kind of ironic because Liz Cheney supported her dad and George W. Bush stealing an election in 2000. She supported that. 
It's just she doesn't support this particular election being stolen because Trump is not he's not highbrow about it and he doesn't pretend it's very crass and brazen and like in your face that he's just a sore loser and effectively doesn't care what the results are. He's just going to assert he won anyway. Right. Um, but that is the reason she went down. That is definitely the reason she went down. Um, so I have here for you some of her her speech when she uh, right when she lost, she came out and gave this speech, gave this speech in Wyoming. Let's listen. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73 percent of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take. So look, it, you got to keep it real. On that point, she's correct. She easily could have won re-election, even if she half-heartedly went along with the mob that's saying, you know, oh, the election was stolen and Trump's the rightful winner. Even if she half-heartedly went along with them, um, she would have won re-election and she would have won easily, but she didn't do it. So now understand something, guys. This is like literally the one issue, the one issue where Liz Cheney is correct. Um, because you know what her voting record and 538 tracks this in detail. She votes 93% of the time with Donald Trump. So she is Donald Trump. She's just Donald Trump who believes in decorum and civility. And she believes that in this particular election, he should have stepped aside and done the right thing. So, but you have to keep all those points matter, right? You have to keep all those points in your head anyway more for you. Now, this one, this one is interesting. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed. He saved our union and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. As we meet here tonight, that remains our greatest and most important task. Most of world history is a story of violent conflict, of servitude and suffering. Most Okay. So she's saying, hey, look, Lincoln lost elections. And then he won the presidency. And people are pointing out, hey, is this her saying, like, I'm going to run for president? And the chatter on that is getting louder and louder, and she's not exactly swatting it aside. In fact, she's feeding into it, and she's saying, look, come hell or high water, I'm going to stop Donald Trump. But then the question arises, does Liz Cheney actually think she can win the presidency? And I don't think she's dumb enough to believe that. So in other words, I think she might run for president, 
for the sole purpose of serving as a quote unquote spoiler effect to take the election away from Donald Trump versus whoever his Democratic opponent may be. I think she might do that now. But here's the problem, right? And this is something not many people are talking about. Is it possible that if she runs as an independent or something and, you know, she can take 3% of the vote and she could take down Trump? Is that possible? Yeah. But it's also possible that since all she seems to talk about nowadays is January 6th, is the rigged election stuff, is is going after Trump, it might not work like that. In fact, she might take most of her votes from whoever the Democratic candidate is, because there are many mindless resistance liberals and some who might be very wealthy who might prefer Liz Cheney now over whoever the Democratic candidate is. So, I mean, look, if she's thinking, I want to try to take this election from Trump, okay, I salute you on that. That's what's up. (laughs) Like, thank you for your service, right? But if functionally... That's not what ends up happening. It's also possible that she just sort of 50% takes from Trump and 50% takes from the Democrat. And it's sort of moot, right? Like, doesn't really have any intended effect. Um, All those things are possible. But, I mean, LOL at the idea that she thinks she might be able to win an election, uh, an election for president. Like, that's hilarious, right? But I don't think she actually believes that. I think it's more, I want to serve as a spoiler effect. And I'm going to stop Donald Trump come hell or high water. But... Whether or not that will be how it actually unfolds is yet to be seen. So, I don't know, man. That's interesting. So, anyway, down goes Liz Cheney. Now, we had Wyoming elections, but also Alaska elections. And unfortunately, I don't have much for you on that front, particularly because we have to wait for about a week to two weeks to get all the results because the absentee ballots come in late in Alaska. Um, And... But what I do have to show you is this. So ranked choice voting debuts in Alaska special election where Sarah Palin is fighting for a seat in Congress. So they now have ranked choice voting. And the way it's going to impact this race is interesting. It makes it a much more interesting race because of ranked choice voting. Former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin is the most notable name on Alaska's ballot to finish the rest of the late Representative Don Young's term, though her path to Congress is not guaranteed. And the outcome of the race may not be known for a couple weeks. Alaska's ranked choice voting system enables voters to choose multiple candidates on the ballot and rank them in order of preference. Unless a candidate's rece- candidate receives over 50% of the first vote choice vote, the candidate with the fewest first choice votes will be eliminated. And then voters' second choice choices will be reallocated to the remaining candidates. This process of elimination and redistribution continues until a candidate wins a majority and may be delayed until absentee ballots are counted. Those ballots can be received until August 26, 10 days after the election. Palin, Palin, I used to say Palin, and I don't know why that popped back up now. Palin, Republican businessman Nick Begich, and Democrat Mary Peltola are on the special election ballot for young seat. While Palin, in her first campaign since she was uh, the 2008 Republican vice president, presidential nominee, was the top vote getter in the June primary for the seat, An Alaska survey research poll in July simulated the rounds of ranked choice voting and found that Palin would be eliminated in the first round of reallocation. That's interesting. So she, the the theory is if this wasn't a ranked choice voting system, she would probably do better. Since it is a ranked choice voting system, she might do worse. Now, she's not the favorite for the race, but she still has a chance of winning the race. 
Ivan Moore, a longtime Alaska pollster who conducted the Alaska survey research poll, said that Peltola is likely to get the most first choice votes because Begich and Palin are likely splitting the Republican votes. Do you understand that? So you got two Republicans and one Democrat. The Republicans are going to split their vote. The Democrats are going to have the most in the first um, in the first round. But then when you get to the second round, something else happens. He said Begich would likely win against Peltola after the reallocation of picks from voters who put Palin as their first choice. But that if Begich is eliminated first and his voters' choices are split up, those votes do not exclusively go to Palin. Interesting. Quote, even faced with this evidence, Sarah Palin is still treated like the favorite to win. She's not the favorite. She may well win, but she's not the favorite to win, Moore said. So we got this race. Then we also have Murkowski. Murkowski was a pro-impeachment um, Republican, pro-Trump impeachment Republican. And she's facing a challenger to her right, a Trump candidate. And again, we don't have the results for that yet. But everybody's through to the next round is what we know. But it's still, it's still going to be about 10 days until we get the final word on how this election went. So anyway, there you have it. That's the election breakdown. And, um, you know, next time we get the information we're looking for, I'll make sure to share it with you guys. All right, guys, that is the show. I love y'all. Um, I hope everybody has a, a great rest of your, your day and we will see you tomorrow.